Stories, fables, ghostly tales. A spirit becomes vengeful when she murders her neighbors to hide a secret from her husband. A secret that he'd never expect. A creature, a warlock, a monster no less, strikes terror to women to this day, and whose body is covered in something unusual. And a bus that takes its passengers to a place not of this world. The only bus you'd be lucky enough to miss. Welcome, listeners. I have for you three urban legends from three different countries. This is part of a Urban Legends episode series that I'll be working on. A combination of research slash stories combined together. One of the many, many projects I'm working on just for you awesome people. I bring you May Nak from Indonesia, Orang Minyak from Malaysia, and the Midnight Bus from China. And if I have completely butchered your language, let me know. <laughs> and correct me, as politely as possible, please. This would be a good opportunity to properly learn how to pronounce some words. So thanks in advance. And this episode isn't for little ears, so please ensure no kitties are around. This episode deals with sexual assault and rape, but only in mention, nothing in detail. So turn off your lights, turn up the sound, and if you hear a sound in the night, lock your doors. Maynuk's Ghost, Thailand There once lived during the reign of King Mongut, 1851-1868, a beautiful girl named Nuk, who was married to a man named Tid Mac. The love between Nuk and Tid Mac bore fruit, and soon Nuk was heavy with child. But as the fates would have it, Tid Mac was called to serve in the army, forcing him to leave his pregnant wife. While Tid Mac was away, Nuk suffered a fatal complication while giving birth and died along with their child. But due to the deep love for her husband, Nak refused to cross over, and instead remained as a ghost in their house. When Tidmak returned home, still blissfully unaware of his wife's death, he found his beautiful wife and child waiting for him. Not wanting his husband to know of her deathly situation, Nak killed anyone who attempted to warn her husband that he was living with a ghost. And for a time they lived a life full of happiness and love plus the occasional brutal death of nosy neighbors. But Nak could not have it her way for long, as fate again intervened to stop her murdering the townspeople. One day, as Nak was preparing lunch for her husband, she accidentally dropped a piece of lime off the porch. She quickly reached out to catch the lime, but in her haste, she overstretched her arm, elongating it to inhuman proportions. Unbeknownst to Nak, Tidmak saw the whole thing, and at last realized that Nak was a ghost. Fear gripped Tidmak, who did not want to spend his life hitched to a ghost. He fled the house that night, and took refuge in a holy temple, so that Nak could not only not chase him, but would also be unable to harm him. Such is the power of the holy temple to the undead. 
When Nak realized that Tidmak had fled, her grief knew no bounds. Grief quickly turned to anger, and she went on a murdering rampage. Her neighbors got the brunt of her wrath, and dozens died by her hand. Wanting nothing more to do with her, the neighbors hired an exorcist to lock her up in an earthenware jar, and toss that jar over the canal. For years afterwards, the village was at peace. But the story does not end there. Several years later, two fishermen find that jar in the river and unwittingly release the ghost of Nack. During that freedom, she terrorized towns and neighborhoods until another monk was brought to exorcise her. The one who vanquished her this time was the famous Buddhist monk Somde To, who imprisoned her spirit in the bone of her forehead and bound it on his waistband. When Somdere Tot died, the relic was said to have passed on to the royal family to make sure Nak would not be released to do harm ever again. Now there are some different versions of this story. The first deviation from this version is, when Mac is conscripted and sent to war, he is seriously wounded and nursed back to health in central Bangkok. That's when Nak and their child both died due to a difficult childbirth. The next deviation takes place when Nak is preparing Nam Frik, which is a spicy type of sauce typical of Thai cuisine. So while preparing this, Nak drops the lime off the porch as we know, and Mac sees her hand elongate. But this is when things change in some versions of the story, where terrified, instead of running straight out the door and to the temple, he tries to find a way of fleeing without alarming her. I mean, if you knew your partner and child are ghosts and had the power to elongate themselves, who knows what else they could do and how much of your wife and child is really there. Also, how would you justify the lack of growth from your child over the years? Not something you could easily explain away. And by the time you figure it out, it could be too late. That same night, he goes downstairs to urinate that's when he decides to run. At this point, Nak realizes Mac's running away and seeks to track him down. Mac hears her coming and tries to conceal himself behind a Blumia Balsavafira, which is a bush, according to folklore, that ghosts are afraid of due to their sticky Blumia leaves. There's something in those leaves that ward off ghosts. Mac then runs and makes it to the Wat Mahabut temple, in which the ghost cannot enter which does align to the first version. So there are some similarities. Now let's have a look at the exorcism of the ghost. Now the second monk is said to have banished the ghost and bind it there in a bone, a relic of some sort. And this was passed on to a royal family member. It belongs to Admiral Prince Abgahara Kietvongzi, Prince of Chamfon, who spent his early years studying naval warfare as well as serving in the Royal Siamese Navy, he contributed significantly to the advancement of naval warfare in Thailand, often referred to as the father of the Royal Thai Navy. And it is said that he is the one that took claim of that relic, the relic that houses the ghost of Mei Nak. There is an alternative account though. So yes, yet another deviation, but this one is unique in that it seems to draw on reality more than the myth itself. Anik Nawakamul, a Thai historian, researched the story and found an article in the Siam Prophet 
the Thai newspaper, written by K. S. R. Kulab, dated 10th of March 1899. Kulab claimed the story of Mei Nak was based on the life of Amdiang Nak, a real person, daughter of a Tamron Phra Kanong leader named Kun Si. Amdiang Nak died while she was pregnant. Her son worried that his father might remarry, and his inheritance shared with his stepmother invented the ghost story. He dressed in women's clothing and threw rocks at passing boats to make people think that Nak's ghost had done it. Kurlab also suggested that Nak's husband was named Chum, not Mac. No one knows how true this is, or even if it was the same Nak, but it does give food for thought. And speaking of all things set in reality, in addition to the story itself, there are shrines dedicated to Mei Nak. The shrines are used by the people in the military to help them avoid their lottery ticket when it comes to being drafted. What this means is, a person would receive an envelope. If that envelope contains a red card from the military, they are to be conscripted and serve for two years, with a chance of being posted in the south, which is extremely dangerous. This is where the prayers come into effect, and why Mei Nuk is so important to the people of Thailand. And there is a warning assigned to the shrine in that pregnant women are advised to stay away from the shrine just in case Mei Nak curses them concerning their pregnancy out of spite of losing her own child and her own life. But that's the only warning thus far. There is also something fascinating about the location of the shrine itself. Surrounding the shrine is two Takian trees, which are associated with family spirits called Nang Takian. There are two of these trees situated right next to her shrine, and are considered very powerful. Devotees and people praying scrub the trees believing that this shrine will give them the winning lottery numbers for the military conscription, and avoid the draft. With her shrine having considered to have brought fortune to some people in the local community, you can see how much of an impact it takes on the Thai people. These people are fearful of that conscription, and understandably so, going to great lengths to see how they can avoid it. And the story, the myth, the urban legend, Mei Nuk acts as a guardian to that respect. Now let's take a look at a creature so strange I couldn't resist reading about it. Orang Minyak from Malaysia, which literally translates to Oily Man. So this is how the urban legend goes. Orang Minyak is a creature that abducts young women by night. Supposedly, the creature is able to climb walls, grab victims through walls like a spectral being, while dodging and evading capture completely due to its slippery coating. A black substance that shimmers on the surface of the Orang Minyak's body. The Orang Minyak has been alternately described as appearing naked or wearing a pair of black swimming trunks or black cloth. A number of stories describe the Orang Minyak as a rapist that only targets virgins. The Orang Minyak is blamed frequently for the rapes that take place in towns and small villages. The story itself began in the 1950s. Female students would attempt to ward off the creature by donning sweaty clothing to give the woman the appearance of having been with a man. Some versions of the legend hold that the Orang Minyak is an evil warlock 
rather than a supernatural creature. Another story is shared about the Orong Minyak in that it was about a man who was cursed by the devil, wherein that man attempted to win back his love with the help of black magic, and as expected, the devil got the better of him. The very magic he used and wielded turned against him, and he was transformed into something else, something terrible. The Orang Minyak. The original deal was that the man would worship him for three weeks, and every single day would rape three women in his name, all of which must be virgins. And I really, really never understood the transfiction of humanity on virgins when it comes to religious beliefs. It's always befuddled me. The next account of the Orang Minyak is that the creature itself is under the control of black magic, a warlock, shaman, or witch doctor. The oil you see on him is the controlling tool, the black magic oozing from its skin. Now, I did some digging online, digging through newspapers or Malaysian news reports just to find some information about the Orang Minyak, if at all, and I managed to find some recent accounts to my surprise, relatively recent actually. In 2012, so not too long ago, the residents of Kapang village claimed to have seen and heard the creature in the vicinity. Several years earlier, local newspapers carried sensational reports of a knife-wielding rapist covered in oil, which leads me to think that it's an imitation of the Orang Minyak myth. Some killers like to generate press and awareness of their presence without taking the heat and responsibility of the crime themselves, that Orang Minyak imitation could be just a diversion. So let's look at another recorded account of the Orang Minyak. In a more detailed and lengthier story, the star saw multiple sightings over the Christmas holidays, and mainly in hotels and hostels all around Malaysia. One eyewitness said it was crawling up the stairs of the house, just like a spider. When it reached the top, it suddenly jumped onto the roof. I don't think a human could do that. And then it just disappeared. We can laugh and joke about it now, but this is serious. All the families here have young girls, and we fear for their safety. The Orong creature itself seems to be tied as well loosely to different types of Orong creatures which would account for its ability to fly, jump, leap, and climb surfaces and obstacles that humans would struggle with. For example, the Orong Iko, the tailed man, the Orong Gatang, the big man who stands at 10 feet tall, and the Orong Bati, the flying man, a creature that stands about 5 feet tall, has black leathery wings, and allegedly makes its home in dormant volcanoes. Either way, all variations of the Orang Minyak is strong, nimble, big, and dangerous. Not to be messed with. When it comes to the physicality of Orang Minyak itself, the height and weight has been described from skinny to obese, from tall to diminutive. It's not very specific. Other than key eye characteristics, the eye color being yellow, gold, red, or jet black that cover the iris, and every time it is described, the main characteristic, of course, is that the body is completely covered in a dark, slippery oil that cakes the whole skin and, to some extent, forms the skin itself. People have noted that it doesn't drip or leave footprints or fingerprints, 
something highly unusual. You'd imagine being covered in oil would leave marks all over the place. Yet another mystery of the Orang Minyak. So we know what it is, and what it looks like, and that its intention is to hunt down female virgins. Let's take another look at a story of the Orang Minyak, this time a first-hand account, in more detail and actually a report. The black hand creeped through the bedroom window. That's how Elaine Kaur remembers her encounter with the Orang Minyak, or Oily Man. Elaine was assigned to a training session at a hostel in Malacca, and shared a room with her colleagues. In the first three weeks of their stay, they discovered money and undergarments stolen, and these were stolen from her room, despite it being locked. Elaine goes on to say, We worked on the same shift, so it was unlikely for it to be one of us. It was so strange to have your things stolen from you, with no signs of break-in. Information Elaine shared during an interview. What was more bizarre, she said, was the frequent visits by a black hand. A black hand that was not connected to any human body, floating and appearing out of nowhere at night. I was sleeping but woke up in the middle of the night, feeling very uncomfortable. I then saw this black hand, a hand only, creeping through an open window, as if it was searching for someone or something, she explained. She started screaming and it disappeared. Her roommate witnessed a similar hand trespassing in their room the following night. More strange things happened at the hostel. From increased black hand sightings to a bed being thrown to the ground in an empty spare room. You can only imagine the kind of strength this creature has if it can topple a bed and the frame with only a hand. We were tired of this charade. After seeing the black hand over and over again, we decided to fight it. So one night, Elaine and her colleagues gathered some wood from a nearby construction yard and decided to venture out to find the source of this hand. I gotta say, they are much braver than I. There's no way in the world I'd be looking outside and roaming around the hostel at night with planks of wood to attack a supernatural being. Goodness. Maybe it's all the creepy pastas that I read, but this oozes danger. The group of girls and boys then headed out of the hostel and started roaming around. Suddenly, one of their roommates saw a black figure running by them. It went by so fast, the boys chased it but lost track of the figure. It just disappeared. Apparently the figure looked greasy, she said. And that was the last that we saw of what we think was the Orong Minyak. There are other tales that the Orong Minyak is shifty. And I mean shifty in the sense that it can shapeshift, polymorph its body, in that there are reports of its ability to transform into a black dog or mosquito to deceive pursuers, which explains how the Orang Minyak got away in the last story. Perhaps it changed shape and snuck away. I'd imagine it's pretty hard to spot a black mosquito flying at night. And before I finish off the Orang Minyak, I'm going to read to you a report just in April 2018. Yep, yeah, that recent. Teen girl attacked by Orang Minyak in the Klentan village. The latest incident occurred at 9am today, when a 17-year-old girl claimed she was attacked by an Orang Minyak as she was hanging up laundry in the backyard of her family's home. The girl claimed that she was strangled with her hands, feet and waist bound. There was also grease marks on her neck and feet. The girl, Nick Annis, a shearer 
Kara Rulzaman, claimed that as she was hanging up the clothes, she was grabbed by someone from behind and forcibly brought into the living room. Ashura states, I felt as if I was under a spell. I didn't know who this person was. I only realized what was happening when I felt the person's hand clutched around my neck. My hands, feet, and waist were also tied up. I couldn't breathe due to the rope knotted tightly around my waist. I could only cry and scream for help before the person fled through the kitchen window. She goes on to say her neighbor came to her aid and freed her. The neighbor also alerted her father and younger brother who were having breakfast at a nearby shop. The report goes on to say that her father, Matt Yunus, 44, said that the family home had been the target of an Orang Minyak for months. The villagers had been staying up at night, setting up perimeters and fortifying the areas, and conducting Sembahyang Hajat, which loosely translates to prayers. But the disturbances remain. Four houses in the village have been pelted by rocks, shattering the windows in the process. Some villagers claim to have seen this Orang Minyak, but any attempts to catch this thing has been unsuccessful. The windows breaking, the rocks being thrown, reminds me a lot of our first story, Mei Nak. Interesting correlations. It is understood that the victim is in the process of lodging a police report on the case. So even up to 2018, this myth, this urban legend persists. What do you think? Do you think it's just a person hiding under the guise of the Orang Minyak, terrorizing a town for months? Or could there be the possibility that the Orang Minyak exists and this was one such case? So we've covered a vengeful spirit from Indonesia, a creature covered in oil with the worst intentions from Indonesia, and now, a bus that goes to nowhere. The bus that mysteriously disappears. And a close call for two strangers. Lucky enough to make the right call. The Midnight Bus. Beijing, China. A young man was on his way home late one night. The streets were empty except for the occasional motorists. And the only one at the bus stop with him was an old man. The Midnight Bus arrived and they boarded it without any fuss. The old man took a seat at the front of the bus, and the younger man sat a couple of rows behind him. There were no other passengers with them. After a while, the bus stopped, and two new passengers climbed aboard and sat behind the driver's seat. Several minutes later, the old man suddenly stood up and confronted the young man. He looked angry and accused the young man of stealing his wallet. The young man was angry at being accused of something so preposterous. The argument became more heated until the old man angrily declared that both of them must get off the bus and settle their argument at the nearest police station. The young man at first did not want to go with the old man, but then relented just to settle the matter and prove his innocence. When they get off and the bus zooms away, the young man was startled to see that the old man was no longer angry. In fact, he looked relieved. When he asks the man what this is all about, the old man answers, I just saved both our lives. To which the young man responded with a confused, Huh? Did you see the two passengers? Yeah, so what? Replied the young man, still annoyed at what had just transpired. Well, 
unlike you, I took a closer look. They have no feet. They were just floating on air. Those two were ghosts. The next day the news was all about the midnight bus. It had gone missing along with its driver. For several days the police tried to locate the bus and finally found it more than a hundred kilometers away from its regular route. Inside the bus was the badly decomposed body of the driver. The authorities were even more perplexed and horrified when, upon checking the tank, they found blood instead of petrol. To add to the mystery, there are some other oddities surrounding this urban legend. The bus did not have enough gas to drive all the way to the Miyun Reservoir where it was found, and when the police inspected the petrol tank itself, not only was it filled to the brim with blood as mentioned, but it was rusted, dilapidated, and in heavy disrepair. But what about the body of the driver, who was only missing for two days? Even though the driver's body was found two days later, it was badly decomposed. Even if it was summer, the process of decomposition could not have been that quick. The autopsy confirmed that there had been no intentional meddling with the body, so there's no reason why it decomposed so quickly. When it comes to where the bus actually appeared after 100 kilometers, we have to look at the site inspection done by the police. The site in which the police inspected was the Miyun Reservoir. All the security camera tapes on each entrance leading into the reservoir itself had no imagery of the bus. In fact, they found nothing out of the ordinary whatsoever. Blank tape. How on earth had the bus been able to bypass the cameras and get lodged inside the reservoir itself without being noticed? To this day, it remains an unsolved mystery and an urban legend. Now, before I finish this episode off, in the spirit of alternate versions of urban legends, because I love giving you different slices of the same narrative cake, <laughs> here is the alternate version of the Midnight Bus, told in a different style, and relayed by Professor Li Yang of Qingdao, Shandong, China, an expert on Chinese urban legends. A young man and an old man, strangers to each other, got on Bus 302, the Midnight Bus from Beijing. The old man took a seat near the front and the young man a seat a few rows behind. Two other passengers sat in the front close to the driver. Shortly after the bus left the stop, the old man turned around to face the young man in the back. What did you say? Asked the old man. I didn't say anything, the young man replied. Yes, you did. I heard you. Don't lie. You said something about me. Excuse me, but I didn't say anything to you or anyone else. Oh, now you're suggesting I'm lying or that I'm hearing things? Is that it? The old man's face was furious. I didn't say anything to you. Don't bother me. Why, you little disrespectful. I ought to... The old man got up and marched back to the young man and boxed his ears. Oh, hey! yelled the young man. At this point, the bus driver pulled over to the curb, put the parking brake on, turned around and said, All right, both of you get off my bus. I am not having any fighting while I'm driving. But, the young man began, Get off now! You heard me. 
The young man, followed by the old man, exited the bus. The bus took off, leaving the two alone, on a deserted street when night is at its blackest. What the hell was that all about? The young man asked the old man. Why in the world did you start a stupid quarrel with me? Why did you hit me? The old man smiled and shook his head. I just saved your life and mine. What do you mean? Did you see the two passengers in the front? Yes, well, not clearly. I know there were two people with their backs turned, so what? Well... The old man continued. I happened to see them more clearly than you did. Below their waists, there was nothing there. So, they were... Yes, said the old man, nodding. Exactly. The news media reported the next day that bus 302 had disappeared sometime after midnight. No trace of it or anyone on the bus was ever found. And that's the alternate version of the original urban legend. So we had vengeful spirits, an oily creature from hell, and a bus that went to nowhere. Goodness. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's episode. It's definitely different. And I thought, as usual, I'd shake it up. Which urban legend was your favourite? And do you have any urban legends of your own? Perhaps a story unique to your hometown. A story that maybe people haven't heard of before, but should. <laughs> Feel free to contact me at storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. Now my creepy ghouls, my devilish demons, may your weekend be full of awesome things to do and eat, and your cups full of tea. Should you wish to support the podcast, you can do two easy things. Leave an iTunes review to let others know that the show exists and share the podcast with your pals. For those of you awesome people already doing this, you have my unending gratitude. Seriously, thank you. Now, as always, till next time.